today's topic is understanding C to N ratios and cover crops. And I just want to start out by saying that if you were to ask me what a C to N ratio was 10 or 15 years ago, I would have said, what are you talking about? Because I, I did not know. Now, whether or not it was talked in biology class, I have no idea, but I certainly don't remember and certainly couldn't have explained it. But here in the last uh, decade or so, as I've come to uh, understand exactly what C to N even meant, and then better yet, how to manage it, I, I, I came to realize that it's a fairly important aspect about cover cropping and how that we under, we need to understand this so that we can better manage our cover crops all in the context of doing a good job of, um, of make, of making them work for us the best that they possibly can. So, uh, just have a, a, a definition here, uh, for, to, to kind of lay down a, a foundation to jump off of. Uh, C to N means carbon to nitrogen ratio. So we routinely just say C to N ratio. It means carbon to nitrogen ratio. So it's a simple ratio of the mass of carbon to the mass of nitrogen in a substance. Now, the substances we're going to talk about today is primarily cover crops, but also some casual mention of our cash crops, too, because they also have a C to N ratio. But just as an example here, when, we, when you'll, you'll see, you saw some of the numbers I had in my promo slide. I'm going to show that graph a little later. But example, if there's 10 units of carbon for each unit of nitrogen, then the C to N ratio would be 10 to 1. So that's just a, a really quick example here of what we're talking about. So it's just kind of some basic, uh, I guess I'll call it biology here in understanding how that works. So. Why is this important to us in cover cropping? Well, um, it does have a direct effect on our nitrogen use or our nitrogen management. We're talking about nitrogen. Uh, so there's a direct relationship there that is important to growing plants. And we're all aware of some cover crops or legumes like a hairy vetch or crimson clover that actually provides nitrogen, and some are not legumes, common ones, cereal rye, triticale, annual ryegrass, they need nitrogen to grow. So, uh, we're, but we're not really talking about that aspect so much today. We're talking about the carbon nitrogen ratio as it's measured in the foliage, in the biomass. So understanding the C to N ratios can help us be better managers in the context of overall soil health and our use of fertilizer. And I think it's one of my key sentences here to understand that this is, this is why I feel that this is important and has been pretty much overlooked generally by and large. But when you start getting serious about making cover crops, uh, maximizing their effect, and at the end of the day, every farmer, they want to know, do cover crops pay? Well, this is going to be part of that aspect. 
and and how to be able to understand that aspect is critical i feel to to be able to make good decisions and so forth so i want to show you a picture here this is a uh multi species cover crop that was planted that corn was no till planted into if you look close you can see the skeletons of some fairly mature radishes that would have winter killed and in this cover crop here uh, a large portion of this would have been winter killed. The larger stems there are sorghum sedan grass and some sun hemp. And uh, I don't recall exactly what was in this field. There could have been some a little cereal rye or something that I burned down when I sprayed it. Um, but I'll just make note that this this particular picture right here had zero nitrogen applied to this moment. Now, this is right when I went in and did side dress some. But I just wanted to say that you can grow corn with reduced nitrogen if you know what you're doing. And this is just an example of that. I'm going to show you a picture later on that uh, I want you to kind of compare here of the amount of residue laid on left on the ground and how that relates to carbon to nitrogen ratios. But um, just... Again, getting that right mix for for our soils is is important. And this whole carbon to nitrogen ratio discussion here, I need to mention up front, there is other factors that can influence it. The amount of biological life you have in the soil can affect the timing and decomposition and stuff like that. So I'm going to come circle back around to that. The carbon to nitrogen ratio is an important component, but it's one of many variables that we're dealing with in cover cropping. So there is a lot of overlap here when we talk about what you can and cannot do with cover crops. This is just part of the equation that you need to understand to maximize the bigger picture. So one of these important components is the, I'm going to call it the microbe component. You could say the biological component or whatever you want to, but I just thought the micro component sounded cool. So uh, the, the, the typical microbes in a soil, the actual seed end ratio is around 8 to 1. So that's just something to know for background. And they need a diet that is near 24 to 1 in order to maintain optim, optimum health. So this is important to know because... We want to try to feed them a balanced diet so that we can maximize their existence, I guess you could say. Um, roughly two-thirds of the carbon they eat is used for energy, and the balance is used for maintenance. So this is just some background information, again, to help us understand how we can manage our carbon to nitrogen ratio in choosing the cover crops we use in the context of the cash crops we use as well. So our goal now as farmers is that we can try to manage, again, I'm using that word very clearly here, to manage to supply the ideal carbon to nitrogen ratio of 24 to 1. Since we know that our microbes, that's what they like. It's like, what's your favorite restaurant? Uh, where do you like to eat? And if you go to a smorgasbord where you have choices, you're going to pick out some of your favorite foods. And you're going to be happier if you find the foods that you desire. Microbes are no different. 
Uh, if we provide them what they want and what they can use, they're going to work better for us. So that's kind of the theory behind all this. So the better we are at maximizing the opportunity for those microbes to process and then release the nutrients that our cash crops can use. So that's, that's the goal. We want to do it. So, and as you can say, as you can see, this ultimately does and can affect our bottom line as farmers. And um, that's why I'm keeping on saying there's a direct correlation here of understanding the C to N ratio and how, well, like farmers like to say, you know, how can I make cover crops pay? Well, there's definitely uh, something here that we can talk about in that. So a little bit more of uh, basic understanding this is the, uh, the chart I have. You can go on the Internet and find all kinds of charts with all kinds of stuff. Uh, just to give us a, a little review so we understand it. And it's pretty much uh, from top to bottom, you know, we know that rye straw is a high C to N ratio. And I guess from a just a – I'll just say a farmer's perspective, C to N ratios can also be translated how fast does it decompose. Now, decomposition can, there's a lot of other factors can enter into that. But when you're thinking about C to N ratios, you can't just say that rye or cereal rye has a certain C to N ratio because it changes dramatically as it's from a time it first sprouts to the time it's fully mature. So in any living crop, as it matures, the C to N ratio gets higher. Now, the grass-type crops like cereal rye, wheat, oat straw, corn fodder, things like that, they're going to be have high C to N ratios. They're more mature. There's more carbon into that in relation to the nitrogen when you break it down. And then you have our, our legumes, uh, their hairy vetch and peas and young alfalfa hay, and we can even assign carbon to nitrogen ratios to manure. Um, and so forth, they're much lower uh, ratio when it when it comes to that. So um, I see Jerry just mentioned here in the chat, he had a scientist, soil scientist tell him when it comes to nitrogen, the microbes eat first. And Jerry, you're a little ahead of me here. I'm getting to that. But you're right. The microbes do eat first because they're there and they can get that and they need to eat. When you're starving for a nutrient, you're going to go and get it. And that's what the microbes do. So if they're short on anything, they're going to take, especially nitrogen, which affects us, they're going to get it first. So you're exactly right. So how can I possibly achieve this ratio? And, again, in agriculture, there's there's no absolutes usually with a lot of things, and this is no exception. So this is not an exact science, but, there's a goal we have out there, and that's to supply a smorgasbord of residues that provide at least a portion of an ideal C to N ratio at any given time. So this is simply the, a goal that we have out there to try to accomplish, to try to do. And uh, and as we think through this in our management system, this is what this is really what it comes down to to try to set ourselves up for success. I guess is a good way to put it. So if we're using a high C to N ratio like cereal rye, that's, that's uh, kind of what you see in, in the background here. I'm going to show you a, a better picture next. But just 
for, for using that, microbes will eat any available nitrogen to supplement their diet. Well, in a mature cereal rye that in this case was rolled down and, and, and sprayed out, there's not a lot of nitrogen there for them. So they're going to be eating up any nitrate nitrogen that's in that soil profile, and your corn won't have it to grow. And we like to say that when you plant corn into a cereal rye, assume there's zero nitrogen there. And to one degree, it's because the cereal rye has taken it all up. But to another degree, because degree, because of that, the uh, microbes don't have a lot for them to eat. And so they're, they're gobbling up any little bit they can. There's just nothing left for the corn. So the way we manage that is we supply some supplemental N if we're going into a situation like that. So that's just a management factor there in, in how to do that. And I'm going to, you know, uh, move ahead here and say how we can kind of manage around this because there is a reason to grow cereal rye. And a lot of times it's because there's no other cover crop that's going to grow planted late in October or November. So that's like the only choice we have because you can say, well, just mix a legume in with it. Well, yeah. And we're, we try to do that, but it's not going to happen every single time. So when this happens, when this occurs, we need to understand the carbon penalty. That's the term applied in a situation like this here. And um, it's that the, the microbes have taken extra nitrogen away from or, or tied it up away from our crop. Now, in a good biological system, they'll eventually give it back to us as they die off and are eaten by other microbes and a higher life form. Um, but when you are in a relatively young biological system, a couple of years into this, <clears throat> if you're going to grow – a decent yield of corn, you're going to have to supplement nitrogen on that rye, um, and and or or you could actually say you could just, you know feeding the microbes nitrogen as well. Uh, so I won't get more complex in that, but this is a part of the reason why you have to understand when you're when you're planting into a high C to N ratio cover crop, the reason why the, there's there's not enough nitrogen there. So. The obvious question is, or the obvious answer you could say is, well, I'll just put a, a legume type or a lower seed and ratio crop with it. And yes, in an ideal scenario, that's exactly what you want to do. So here's an example here. Alfalfa hay is about nearly perfect. It's at 25 to 1, which the microbes are around 24 to 1. Uh, we don't use typically alfalfa hay as a cover crop. Uh, it could be used. I've heard of people using some annual varieties of alfalfa already. But when we start thinking about planting cover crop mixes, when we mix some legumes or some a, a lower C to N ratio legume, then that may provide some of the best options for the microbes. Uh, a mix of hairy vetch. Hairy vetch is around 11 to 1. And cereal rye is around 37 to 1. And this is, you know, when it's just maybe starting to head out but not fully developed. It's a typical time when you'd be planting corn in it. And I'm just using corn here as an example because it's popular. You can assign any other crop you grow as well. But so having a mix of hairy vetch is just a good example. It's like a, it's a popular trend that addresses this dynamic. They're a nice duo. 
Uh, now, we can get into 12-way, 15-way mixes too, and all this factors in, but this is, a, this is one of the reasons why mixes seem to perform well, because we are giving the microbes more uh, to eat in their range of uh, C to N ratio. So it's, again, just another case for for using mixes. So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to uh, trying to give the microbes uh, a balanced diet. And it, in a way, it's just like we do as humans. It's like going to um, a restaurant where you can go to the buffet and basically pick out whatever you want, whatever you like, whatever you need for for that particular meal. So a balanced diet equals health and productivity. And that's that's what we're trying to establish right here uh, in that. So uh, Eon is asking a question here. What is the C to N ratio of a tillage radish? And does this change much as the root develops and does the termination method make any difference? Well, you would think maybe I should know the exact ratio of it and uh, maybe uh, at the end when we have questions, others can chime in. I did know at one point, but it slipped my mind right now. I actually think a chili radish would would have to be fairly close to that ideal 24 to 1, but uh, let's come, let's swing about round to that later. The question about does it change much as the root develops? It changes a little bit, but radishes generally they're just never going to have a high to seed and ratio, just because of the way they are. So that, in, in essence, uh, means they're really highly available. The microbes like them. I know that for sure. Um, so so anyway, uh, maybe we'll have to circle circle around to get an exact answer on that, but. Uh, but anyway, great questions, and I appreciate those questions coming in. Okay, we talked about the effect of residue decomposition. And as we all know, just from observation, when you have any any crop residue, uh, it can be all the way to a high C to N ratio, like um, let's just say a tree. See, a tree, depending on what type of tree, maybe 1 to 300 parts per uh, C to N ratio, uh, or like, uh, you know, 100 to 1, or three, even up to 300 to 1. It will eventually decompose, but it might take decades, actually. Whereas you can have something like a hairy vetch that's terminated right at first bud stage, that can pretty much decompose in maybe six to eight weeks. So that's a direct relationship to the C to N ratio. So as Something is is out in the atmosphere. How how does this happen? How does the residue decompose and uh, to a point where the microbes can utilize it? Uh, a lot of it is affected by the weather, and in a large part, the moisture. the The more regular a moisture you have, the more consistent it's going to decompose and be broken down. Temperature can have an effect as well, and generally, when it's very hot. Generally, it's dry. That affects the moisture. And then also, of course, when it's frozen or very cold, you're not going to have too much decomposition at that point. So over time, there's uh, there's huge differences in this. And uh, the amount of soil biology, or we could say microbes, that happen to be in that given soil can dramatically affect the rates of de- decomposition. 
And um, I have certainly learned that well here on my farm. And as it, my farm has evolved over decades, I'll say, of uh, increased microbial uh, and, and more soil biological life in the soil. So here's just an example. This happened to be from a planting green plot that we did working with Penn State University where we sprayed out cereal rye when it was about uh, 20 inches high, and then we left it grow two more weeks till it got about four feet tall. So the C to N ratio on the right side there is going to be much lower than the C to N ratio of the more mature uh, rye. Now, just to tell you an average scenario here, and I don't have a picture of this exact spot to to kind of give a comparison, but on the right, since it was terminated at a more uh, or a lower C to N ratio, probably like 30 to 1, I'm just going to guess, that's probably going to be all decomposed in my environment here where we do get 40 inches of rainfall a year, that side will be decomposed by about uh, the 1st of August. Whereas where it's green now and would be terminated at that stage of growth, that that may not be decomposed for a full year. It may lay in that soil surface and not be decomposed. So uh, in the meantime, you know, understanding that ratio and how the microbes work is is important. Now I kind of learned a uh, a lesson in in uh, this is back now in 2011 uh, with this next uh, slide coming up here. We had uh, planted a 12-way mix in the fall of 2010 after wheat, and you see that picture there on the left, beautiful stand, three to four feet high. It just looked awesome. I was going to plant corn. So we had the radishes in there, very little grass, some sunflowers you can see. There were some legumes in there growing as well, some hairy vets and some crimson clover. Then on a picture on the right-hand side is planting that field next year. And I'm telling you, nothing was done to that field. It was not even rolled. But if you look there, you can see there's hardly any residue left. And that's because the... Soil biology, the microbes, came up and ate it off. Now, if I would have, and, and he, here's how the soil surface looked. I was literally embarrassed that year to show people who came to tour my farm. And, and here I'm, here, you know, I had, I had this particular field was essentially bare. Very, very little cover at all. Now, Obviously, in the fall, it was it was covered well. But you know what? The C to N ratio of my cover crop was too low for what I was trying to do in the context of my field and the soil biology that I had. So if I would have been in another situation that it may be a field that was just starting to no-till or just starting to get into this more uh, use of cover crops, that residue may have had up to 100% coverage at that point simply because there would have there may be no or very little biology there to break it down very few microbes to be there so the reason i'm bringing this aspect into the c to n ratio discussion is it's more than just the c to n ratio of a cover crop because we can look at the books and you can stand there in the fall and you can look at your field and you say, oh, I think I have a C to N ratio of whatever. 
And that is absolutely true. But in the context of management, you have to manage your C to N ratio according to the biological uh, um, aspect of your soil. And you may not – You that's why you have to do the experimenting and the research on your farm. Because I could take that same exact mix and put it on another field, like I said, and it may be 100% coverage on the soil. And we're, we're striving to have 100% coverage on the soil. Now, in one, one sense, I did joke around and say, well, at least I had almost 100% earthworm castings. And I see Brent Jones just, just chatted in here. He says, looks like a lot of earthworm castings. You betcha. You betcha. That is almost 100% covering of earthworm castings. And that just proves my point. Uh, but now what I had to do to be able to manage that on my field, on my farm, was change up the species to get higher seed and ratios. And here is a result of that. This is just two years later, same picture I used before. Now this is what I, the, what, what, what works for me. So, um, I'm just bringing this aspect in. Because you can't just talk about C to N ratios by the book and apply them to any field. You use that as a starter, and then you see how it works out based on the microbial population, earthworms, and all that stuff. So that's the little twist I felt was important to bring in to this whole discussion here. And then we get the question, but doesn't uh, tillage aid in residue decomposition? And those of you who know me well, I'm a I'm a 100% no-till farmer for 22 years here on my farm, but that doesn't mean I'm telling everybody else to do that. I understand there's need for tillage and there's understand to, you know, taking people from where they're at. I will also be very adamant that we need to use as less tillage as possible. Yes, um, tillage does factor decomposition because it literally breaks up some of the residue and it puts it into the soil where there's more moisture and it can, you know, aid in that uh, breakdown and so forth. But tillage also kills or at very least beats up on the microbes and the earthworms, the very critters that are trying to not only survive, but do their part in a biological system. They're trying to work for us and uh, we need to try to manage them to be able to do, uh, do things for us that actually help us. So, if if we leave them undisturbed and we provide them food, we try to give them that 24 to 1 C to N ratio, that smorgasbord diet that we as humans like, then they're going to thrive and they'll provide us as farmers with many nutrient cycling benefits. So, uh, again, that's the that's the theory behind all this. That's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. So, again, coming back to uh, the question I've talked about economics a couple times, uh, what are the economical benefits of getting the C to N ratio right? Well, some of it is, uh, is, is somewhat implied, uh, but I'll just say here that in the short term, optimal nitrogen use. Now, notice I didn't say less nitrogen use. Um, now, if we're talking using a, a low C to N ratio crop like hairy vetch that actually provides nitrogen, yes, lower nitrogen use. But if we're talking about a new a new field, that we're trying to adopt these principles, and we're going to plant corn in that, and we had to plant cereal rye in the fall, you may have to use more nitrogen in order to grow a corn crop that is actually economical profitable. I could probably show you data to back that up. So that's why I say optimal nitrogen use. 
Now, I will tell you that over the long term here, you see the points laid out there, higher organic matter, lower purchase nitrogen and other units. I can promise you it'll be lower. I'm not going to promise you how much lower, and I'm not going to promise you no nitrogen or other nutrients. I'm just telling you worldwide, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Once you get into this, and I'm talking into the five to ten year time period, you can start, and I like to say earn the right to lower some of those uh, purchased inputs. Microbes are happy. They're providing many benefits for us, and that's all associated with the cover cropping. Uh, I'll just make a note. This is my neighbor's field here. Happened to be after wheat, so we got a great stand of a mixed cover crop. Uh, in our area of the world, most farmers like to do double crop soybeans after wheat. In this case, he planted that multi-species cover crop, and he did a uh, planted corn the following year. It would have been 2017. He planted corn. He did a test in there, a very good replicated test, and where he did not have any nitrogen applied, he had over 250 bushels of corn. Where he applied uh, 60 pounds of nitrogen, it was either 50 or 60 pounds of nitrogen, he only increased his bushels, I think, four or six bushels per acre. It was very negligible. Uh, now, this farm, to be fair, has had a history of the use of manure and so forth, so there's a lot of good, it's a good soil. But typically, he would have put 100, 150 pounds of nitrogen on in this scenario. And so that's just a case where when we manage this C to N ratio right, then we can start, uh, you know, literally making some money uh, as, as farmers. So there is a lot of science behind this, and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of information out there. I am going to send a link or two around uh, the, uh, on, put it on the Facebook group and also, in the uh, webinar link for this, so if you want to look into it. But but it can be somewhat complex. C to N ratio is a little hard to describe in one or two sentences, and I think that's why it hasn't been well known. Uh, but there's a lot of good information out there, and when I was looking into this uh, the past week here, getting ready for this, I came across a, a recent article that was uh, written by none other than Don Donovan, who is actually on this call. So uh, appreciate, Don, that because I, 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 it helped me to brush up your article. And I'm going to send the link to this out, but uh, I think it's really cool to see people mem that are members of this group here, the Cover Crop Innovators Group, who are out there making a difference. And we all have our ways of making a difference, but uh, I just thought it was cool that I could use uh, some of the information that Don had to be able to share today. So, so thank you so much, Don, for that. And I'll send that link out to everybody, uh, in the, in the, in our, in an email that comes out here. So, just in summary here, uh, and let's get, you know, you can get ready to ask some questions here in a second. This is my last slide. But don't get hung up on all the technical aspects of targeting ideal C to N ratios. Uh, it, it's more about, if you're going to do this, like, automatically, if you manage for diversity of plant species, that's a loaded bullet point there because I'm not talk, just talking about uh, cover crops. I'm also talking about diversity of cash crops as much as possible. I understand limitations, but start to think about how you can mix things up. That is very, very beneficial. And then reduce tillage as much as possible. 
I was tempted to put no-till in there, but I'll just say reduce tillage as much as possible. Uh, no-till when you can. The microbes are certainly happier, uh, with, with, with a few exceptions, uh, but generally we want to reduce our tillage as much as possible. So that's going to set you up for a better opportunity for long-term soil health benefits and profitability. So that's my take on the carbon to nitrogen ratio. I'm going to open everybody's uh, mic up. And um, I would love to hear some discussion on some questions here um, and also input if anybody wants to have input. So who has a question that we'd like to ask? Steve, this is Jerry Hall. I don't have a, a question, but I just want to reiterate something you just touched on and emphasize it more. When figuring out the CN ratio, it's really important also to consider what your cash crop residue is, what, what you're, yes. you're dealing with. So, like, if you've got a lot of corn stover on the ground, you might want to go and err more on the end of a low CN ratio than a high CN ratio because you've already got a lot of high CN ratio material on the ground. Correct. Yep. Good point. Good point. Yeah, because – you know, the soil, the microbes, they don't know what's a cover crop and what's a cash crop. So you're exactly right. It's it's the total uh, package there. Other questions? See, this is Don. Yeah, Don. I, I'll, I'm this is Don. I was going to add a comment to that. But at the same time, um, we know that ahead of corn, we, we need nitrogen. And ahead of beans, soybeans respond to a nitrogen-deprived environment. Mm. And so if you're going ahead of beans, you may want a really, really high carbon-nitrogen ratio, so you starve that soil of nitrogen because the beans can respond to that and start nodulation quicker and start nitrogen production quicker. So and I, it's kind of a management thing with your cash crop. Exactly, and I think that's one of the reasons why soybeans seem to do consistently well across broad areas planted after a cereal rye. Uh, that's probably one of the reasons there, uh, Don. Uh, that, that's a very good point. And, and, and you know, if you're if you're going soybeans after corn, you know, it, I don't have I don't think you have a real concern with soybeans after corn. Now, if you're planting corn after corn, then you're going to have to deal with that. Right. You know that that, you, that you've got to really be concerned about that because you're going to have to front load some nitrogen somewhere. Yep. 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 Other questions or comments? Did you see my note that I put on the chat? Yeah. When you were uh, talking about tillage. Yeah, I'll just read it here. You had a, uh, Don says he has a picture of a piece of residue taken from a foot in the ground in a field that had been no-tilled for almost 10 years. The earthworms eat on the surface, uh, not below. You want to comment a little bit more on that, Don? Well, we were digging a pit for a soil health day, and then we found some residue in the, so- in, the, in the soil. So this whole idea that burying it makes it go away faster is is a is a myth. Okay. And and the first breaker da- the first breaker downers of big residue are earthworms. Earthworms eat on the surface. Mm-hmm. They do not eat below the surface. They come to the surface. They pull down the residue, and they also you know they they, they keep their their backsides in their in their midden, and they don't come completely out of their midden. Mm-hmm. And so you need the soil completely covered. I've been in fields in in, uh, in September uh, when we're walking to pull stalk samples for our nitrogen testing. Mm-hmm. Where the in a good no-till field, there you know you'll see the middens everywhere, mm-hmm. and there's no residue small enough for an earthworm to use. And they're already starting to pull corn stalks yep. down in uh, and 
strip the, the, the residue off the corn stalks, and all they have yep. left is the spine. Yep, I've seen that. And you may see 10 corn stalks pulled into a midden. Yep, and that's exciting. So we got to yes. see the... Yeah, you know, we got to feed the start, you know, we got to feed the, 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 the macrobiology so they can help feed the microbiology. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Other questions or comments? Oh, uh, I did look up a little bit on the a, on a CNN of Dicon Radix, yeah. and it's somewhere probably between 15 and 20 to 1. Okay, that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Well, thanks for doing that. Uh, John Johnson, do you have anything to say? I see your mic's on. Uh, great, great presentation. Uh, yeah, I think prescription planting of cover crops is the next wave in managing the carbon to nitrogen ratios. I really do. I've given a couple talks, and they ask me what the future holds for. And that's what I suggest. So you're saying prescription, you know, you're, basically what you're saying is having the C to N ratio is as a, as a determining uh, factor for planting cover crop species. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes. Good. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yep, I agree. See, this, this David Lamb. Yes, David. How do you, uh, how do you factor that into your you know, when you're trying to decide your your nutrient rate for uh, upcoming year? How do you play? Do you, you have like a rule of thumb or using any tool? I know there's a several yeah. you know, efforts out there to kind of track the mineralization uh, effort or, or mineralization that's taking place. Yeah. You got any rule of thumb that you're using? Well, I mean, I think maybe you're getting at some of the soil health tests that are out there kind of have this kind of as a as a factor, I'll say, is one of the variables indirectly maybe. Uh, so, uh, Actually, I'm thinking about, oh, oh like the thing that uh, Cornell has with yep. their, uh, oh, I, can't, you know, I can't remember what they call their spreadsheet or their mm-hmm. in-season uh, estimator, and I know that uh, – Oh, the University of Georgia working yeah. with the Southeast Cover Crop Council yeah. trying to come up with a mineralization yeah. tool. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that and, and whether what are you using when you're making a determination. Okay, here's, here's, yeah, here's my thoughts, and I'm not saying they're correct. My thoughts are it all comes down to what works on any given farm or maybe down to the field level. And I don't mean to be snarky, but I have done – I have literally done thousands of plots here on my farm over the years. And if there would be a clear consistency on these things, you would know about it. <laughs> uh, because we'd be, we'd be, you know, yelling it from the rooftops. There are so many variables in all these subjects we have with cover crops that it is impossible to, to take fine-tuned details and to uh, prescribe them in, in, in any, uh, highly reputable, uh, replicable manner. So, to answer your question, I have become comfortable with what I've seen in my fields based on all the research I've done. And no, no farmer, very few farmers are ever going to do that much. I mean, we put out one year, we had 700 plots testing nitrogen rates. 
uh, with different uh, cover crops. Zero, 50, 100, 150, 200. And replicated multiple times. And uh, out of that, we learned some things. Absolutely, we learned some things. But I can't even, with confidence, tell you what worked on my farm is going to work on even my neighbor's farm, let alone Illinois or Saskatchewan or Oregon or the UK. Now, within a percentage of maybe 60 to 70 percent accuracy, yeah, I could I could say this is basically what you may expect. But to actually to take it to the level uh, that John was talking about here, prescriptive, that's going to have to come down to every farmer is going to have to do do some plan around with this on their own farm. And, um, you know, that's my answer. I know it's not an answer really, but uh, I, I don't want to get any wild expectations out here that if you, if you understand C to N ratios, you'll all of a sudden be able to manage everything to, you know, like clockwork. So my answer to your question, David, is every farmer is going to have to embrace some of this and see what works on their farm. That's my answer. Well, Stephen, that's where we would call that adaptive nutrient management. Okay. And, and kind of yep. working towards that. Uh, as an, I'm just kind of curious. So, again, the idea of we're encouraging on-farm, not maybe replicated plots, although our standard would recall for that. Sure. Work, what, would you, what would you say would be a reasonable amount of that type of work to do on for some of the people you work for, you know, a guy farms a thousand acres yeah. out there. I mean, do you need every field? Do you need uh, representatives, two, three fields, or you know, because that that's very, uh, you know, that can be very time consuming and laborious too, which is probably why yeah, it's not done a lot, you know, because yeah. it does take quite yeah. the effort. And and I want to have a, a a topic here, how to do on farm research here, coming up in the next two or three months at least for sure, and I'll get into that. But just okay. really to answer your question now, if a, if a farmer has, let's just say, a 100-acre field, and he plants a cover crop mix in it, let's just say whatever that mix is, and, and if it's corn, which is the easiest one to talk about, and I would take what he thinks his nitrogen rate should be as, as kind of your, your uh, you know, one of your treatments, and I would do one treatment 50 pounds higher or 40 pounds or whatever he wants to do, and then I would do one 40 pounds lower and then one even lower than that yet. If he can put four treatments out, that's nice. And ideally, and this is where it gets a little complicated, you can replicate it. But once you understand how to do this, when you have GPS and you can lay out four paths of like, let's just say, uh, 100 pounds nitrogen and another four paths of 150 pounds nitrogen, you, you write your flags out beforehand and you have someone with you, you stick the flags as you do the plots, and then you can come back in, and if, it, if it's big enough, uh, and you trust your yield monitor that's pretty good, you can just take those plots off, and it really only takes about 15, 20 minutes of your time, because most of these guys, they can adjust their, their nitrogen rates on the planter now from the tractor cab. Uh, so and, and even if you don't have that technology, you, it doesn't take long. I would say if you take one hour out of your day, out of your year, you can get some pretty good data on your farm that may equate to thousands of dollars, may equate to that. Uh, and I would suggest just like some farmers are very aggressive at testing new varieties, 
they understand how to do this stuff, and um, they can just do it. So that's my uh, short answer to that, but I think I'll have a whole topic on it at some point, David, on how farmers can actually test this. Yeah, that would be a good topic because I think a lot can be gained. We we tend to discount farmer research, if you will, and but yet that's really the next, you know, how you can really fine-tune it to your own particular operation. Well, there's like – <laughs> I'm a farmer. I can say this. Uh, there's reasons to discount farmer research. And, and, you know, we all hear the guys, say, well, that corn looked like it was 20 or 30 bushels better. And and they don't really know. They really don't know until you replicate. I have done enough research to say that uh, you it, things will surprise you until you get replicated and and all that. So uh, suffice for that topic for now. It's an excellent topic, but uh, in testing some of this stuff on farm research is really the best if you do it right. And and uh, there's plenty of people on this call here. There's plenty of people out there. And I think, David, you're with the NRCS. That's a that's a role that the NRCS can really step up and actually, and have been done, by the way, but really step up to help farmers do this kind of research. So maybe I'll just give you that little challenge to keep that up as the NRCS, to help farmers do their own research. Um, and, and I'm sure you agree, David, because I know where you're coming from, but uh, keep keep up the good work on that end. And, uh, yeah, we got other people on here, too with the NRCS and so forth. So just I'll just put that out there as a little challenge uh, to, to help to help with that. Other comments? Well, if there's anyone, just feel no, – yeah, go ahead, go ahead well. Jerry. I just said, no, I, I think you covered the topic real well. I think once guys get a handle of CN ratios, it really uh, changes the way they look at things. Mm-hmm. I know it did for me. Yeah, yeah. Certainly did for me, as you could hear. Um, other comments on this topic? Uh, I I think I appreciate your comments about you know you kind of hit on the uh, the yield drag for early no-till adoption. Yeah, I think that's something we overlooked a lot, and I thought you did a good job hitting on that. That that's something we're trying to bring out in our training. That mm-hmm. you know you need to to be patient and and look at look at the system and see how that whole whole scenario works out. Yeah. And, and I think it's another misconception. I know early on when we talked about nitrogen tying up in the residue that, you know, we never really thought about the biological tie-up. It was you know, somehow we were thinking about the residue being a sponge and it was being held in that, you know, matrix of residue mm-hmm. rather than being – Part of the biological uh, yeah. biomass there, yeah. so I, I think that's something that we need to really continue to address. Yeah. So how those two are linked together? Yep. Well, um, I'll just I just put up the screen. Next week uh, we're going to talk about spring planted cover crops. So that's very uh, timely here to be thinking about that potential possibility. So that's the topic for next week. And uh, but I'm opening it up here now for any. Other topic other than this, if there's another cover crop topic and uh, at all, any cover crop question, we got a couple minutes left, about uh, nine minutes left uh, for to, to discuss anything you want. But Eon from the UK asks here, uh, do you have a Can you hear me now, Steve? Goes that? Can you hear me now? I can. So my microphone wasn't working, I don't think. Okay. Yeah, all, all it was was I was wondering about the – uh, the, the mix itself. Obviously, 
you want to try and get as a range of CN ratios within the mix rather than right. have a lot of low ratio and then some high ratio. You want some mid range in, in there as well to sort of balance out the, the feed availability right. during the decomposition period. Um, and I mean, do, you, do you have a standard thing that you would use routinely or do you vary a lot from year to year, crop to crop, that kind of situation? Well, I'd answer it this way. It, it more it varies more on the time of year that it is planted. The, when is your planting yeah. window? So, you know, the summer type species, you have so many options. And uh, then as you as you go out into fall or autumn, uh, then the options greatly are reduced. So, I'll just tell you some popular ones that seem to be popular here in the states. Uh, if if you have a time in the fall, the end of September, beginning of October, well, I'll just say the end of September, September uh, a radish, a crimson clover, annual ryegrass is, is, tends to be pretty popular. Uh, you can mix some triticale or cereal rye with that. Uh, cereal rye and hairy vetch is a really good combination. But when you get into the yeah. summer, then you talk about those 6, 8, 12, 15-way mixes. Those mixes generally have like a sorghum sudan in them. And a sun hemp or a cowpea, uh, and maybe a radish even early because the radishes tend to be underneath the canopy and they come to life a little bit more in the fall. Now I've been to Europe multiple times and over where you guys are, you guys, uh, use more fava beans and phasalia and sunflowers and yeah. things like that. And so I don't, I would say there's not a go-to mix. It's, it's more what your region has found to work. So I think that answer is pretty diverse. Um, what is working in your area now? I've certainly found. Yeah. I've certainly found that we we did some trials where we grew all of the constituents on their own as yes. a demonstration plot for each yep. one. Yep. And then and then grew them as a mix. Yep. And in in the solitary plots, some of them failed completely. Yep. Some of them grew reasonably well and some of them yep. grew very well yep. without exception and i mean not one single exception mm-hmm. everything grew better in the mixed community oh. in the in the mix yep um, and some and, and most things grew much better mm-hmm. uh, yeah. rather than compete with each other they just have a synergy and they just seem happier as a as a consortium rather than on their own and um we we were struggling to explain it um <laughs> You know, it's, it's fairly new to us, but it, you know, there's nothing like see, believing what you see. Yeah. And um, the, there was quite a lot of excitement amongst the farmers there that this had, had really happened, and um, yeah. you know, not not to a not to a sort of minimal com- amount. It was quite r- remarkable the difference in in the mixture. I think we had about nine things in the mix, but yeah. it, it was incredible. Oh, that, and that, I've heard that story shared, uh, very often. That's literally a worldwide phenomena. And, uh, that's so cool mm. that you, you know, you know, see it and it works in your area. And then, and then it, then you ask the question, like you just asked, well, how can we improve in that mix? We know it's good, but how can we improve on it? And that's the never ending question. Uh, that's something that yeah. we just continue, continue to look at. I don't see that question to be, Fully, fully answered ever in the horizon, uh, uh, because well, it, it would only be possible if we knew what the weather was going to do. Well, that too, and we don't, and that's partly why <laughs> we gave that answer. Because, but, but 
that you yeah. have a good point. At least when you have a mix, you're prepared for all kinds of weather extremes because some species will do better dry, cold, hot, wet, whatever. And that's another, uh, you know, certainly another aspect for mixes. Um, yeah, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah. That's a very good observation. I'm really glad to hear that you're seeing what we see as well. And, you know, I'll just tell you a quick story. I uh, I used to test all kinds of cover crop species as single species. And then when, I, then when I got into the mixes, then I thought, well, I need to be testing cover crop species in the context of a mix, not in the context of single species. Well, all of a sudden, it makes a whole much more, many more challenges to do that. But still, um, and I shared this at one of my other webinars uh, where in France with Frederic Thomas, they actually did this uh, crosswise pattern with mixes uh, when they planted a plot. So that they they used they used uh, various mixes like ten or twelve mixes, and then they planted them at half rates, and they planted them up, and then turned around ninety degrees and planted them across. So every single mix was replicated two times, where it overlapped with the other mixes, and that was very yeah. interesting to walk in that plot and see the dynamics that go on between mixed species and mixed species. So, uh, again, we have a lot to learn, but, uh, that's what I love about this whole, whole topic here because we're, we're never going to figure it out in our lifetimes, probably. So, uh. One of, the, one of the best things that someone said at these meetings was, um, the only place he'd ever seen nitrogen deficiency was in a farmer's field. <laughs> Is that right? Well, because you don't see it in nature. In nature, it doesn't happen. Yeah. That, that, that's an interesting. Uh, well, yeah, and, and not yeah. I, I I've always said too. You know, when you look at uh, a woods or a forested area or a, a prairie, you just don't see disease, um, and you don't see nutrient deficiencies. Why is that? And I think to answer that question, how can we mimic that in our, our crop production areas? And that's again what we're all trying to do. So that's a great observation. Anyone else have any other questions? We'll take one more. Go ahead. Someone else have a question? No, I just uh, yeah. Go ahead, Derek. I just seen that like a synergy between your multiple species growing together, and then just you know just seeing it driving around anywhere you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On yeah. the pit bank, yeah. on the river, uh, wherever. I mean. That's what it really piques my interest. I mean, it's really fascinating. And then I'm not working for them. Yeah, and that's what I, I really want to try to challenge myself to try to apply that, like mm -hmm. in the crop growing the canyon crops. I uh -huh. think would really be cool. It presents a lot of challenges, yeah. though. Yeah, well, it'd be really I, awesome I, to figure I, something I, out. I I, ha I heard from someone about Miss okay. Campus Nurseries as well yesterday. Okay. Well, I've. I've uh, um, Right. Well, I mean, they always have. Well, okay. Um, there we go. Sorry about that. I had to mute that there, right there. But uh, well, anyway, hey, thanks so much for your uh, participation today, everybody. I look forward to uh, next week. Uh, and again, thanks for everything. Have an awesome week. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome.